0: Hello and welcome to episode 9 of the Full-Time Whistle podcast. On this week's episode, I welcomed current Glasgow City midfielder Leanne Crichton to chat about her career so far in the women's game. Leanne discusses her early football memories, playing for Celtic, Hibs and English Super League side Notts County. She also chats about her role as a presenter and pundit at BBC Scotland, playing for the women's national team, who have shown the men up recently over the last few years by qualifying for both the Euros and the World Cup and also playing for 13-in-a-row champions, Glasgow City. Here's the interview. I hope you enjoy. So, Leanne, thank you very much for coming on to the podcast. Um, how are you doing? How, how are things?
1: Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Surviving lockdown anyway. Um, nice that we're kind of moving through the, the phases a bit now and a wee bit more flexibility to keep myself sane. But no, it's been absolutely fine, just training and running. Um, I've seen enough concrete paths for a lifetime.
0: So you mentioned there, obviously, you've been keeping fit and things. Are you on programmes and things like that?
1: Yeah, initially the club had kind of programmed us at the beginning. um, But then as time went on and the uncertainty kind of grew. It's it's probably been hard now to really be too specific just because we don't have a a date to return. Um, I've just been doing my my own thing, really, uh, finding what works. It's nice actually having the flexibility at times to be able to train like when you want, rather than having like that constant schedule in place. But no, it's been, it's been all right. The, the club have kept in, in touch as best they can. But hopefully we'll have a date uh, sooner rather than later.
0: You've obviously started a podcast as well during lockdown, yourself and Rachel Corsi. Um, what, what, what sort of made you start that?
1: To be honest, we've spoke about it for a long, long time we enjoy listening like to other podcasts and we enjoy talking uh, we've both kind of got a, a wide wide range of topics that that we enjoy um of course you know got an accountancy background i've got kind of my health and, and leisure i study my degree so we've got loads of different things that we enjoy other than football so we kind of as podcast kept creeping up we were we were you know, we've done a couple of radio shows together where we've been on at the same time or we've been on sports scene at the same time and we're good friends. So we had just said, listen, why don't we, we try and put something together? And then it was just really difficult because of the time difference with her being over in the States, the most, you know, for the most part, mm. um, scheduling is really busy. So once lockdown came, we were like, "Right, listen, if we don't do this now, like by the time we come out of lockdown there's going to be thousands of other podcasts and then you just look like you've jumped totally jumped in the bandwagon <laughs> so we were like just get it and um too far at it being totally perfect either it, it was pretty raw the first couple of episodes especially just to kind of find a footing as, as you know it's, it's not always that easy to you know for questions to roll off the tongue or to work out how the, the conversation flows. So it's been brilliant. It's been really good. It's been a nice distraction during this time. It's been great spending time, you know, with Rach as well and, and hearing from the girls and, and people that we've had on just been brilliant.
0: So um, if it's all right, I wanted to start with your your early football memories. Um, if I take you back, you know, what what is your your first memory of either, you know, playing or watching football?
1: It's um, funny, there was a couple of videos floating about and I was like three years old little home videos, um, me like kicking a flyaway football in the garden and like heading it and stuff like that and shouting over to my nana to watch me. Um, So I think it it was kind of, it was in my blood, you could say, (laughs) since I was that young. Um, And then primary school football is probably like the kind of fondest memories of kind of being a kid, playing with the kind of friends that I grew up with making it into the, the boys team as it was um, you know it's just a school team but it was only ever boys that, that was in it so I think I broke the mold with that one and was probably the first girl in the school and then for there just playing street fo- football really I, I grew up in the East End of Glasgow everybody played outside you know you never needed friends all the time you would just get your football and get outside you never had mobile phones to text and and see if anybody was coming out you would almost just go and parade yourself in the street in the hope that you know people would see you from their windows and, and come out and play as well mm. Um so it was really good times i'm like i'm super thankful that i had that opportunity i think it's changed a lot now for kids where they don't have that same freedom whereas back then it, it was expected of you you know if you were a kid you you'd just get out and play and you never needed really to be entertained I, my older brother was probably an influence in the, the sense that we were close enough in age. We both loved football, you know, so it was a given that we would go out every day practicing. My younger brother came along a wee bit later on and, and he loved it as well. Um, but really good memories of just having that freedom to to learn and explore and, you know, going up against the boys every other day was was always a battle that I loved.
0: Time Times have obviously changed a wee bit now and it, it seems that obviously, thankfully, that g- girls are well, younger girls are, you know, getting involved in sport a lot more. Did you ever find that, you know, sort of a, a barrier growing up? N- it
1: naturally was a barrier, but I don't think as a kid you recognise that. I was always supported, you know, my family were always so encouraging of it. Uh, I never felt like, you know, I was the odd one out. There would have been moments where you would, you would recognise it, you were the only girl there, or there would be comments that, you know, People would be shocked if if they seen you playing in the street or, you know, I remember maybe being outside my grand's house playing and, you know, a couple of the the older guys that lived about would stop and stare and, you know, couldn't believe that they were seeing a girl doing stuff with the ball that, you know, it just wasn't common. Uh, So there was naturally barriers where you were always proving people wrong almost, Uh, but I always felt fairly included. I think it helped that I had... My older brother I think he paved the way almost you know a lot of his friends were my friends as well and he was always forced to take me wherever he went if he was going to play football then you know I went with him so I I reckon there was probably barriers that were broken down for me if Mm -hmm. that makes sense um but I loved it like I loved the moments where you were the only girl as well because that was your your time to shine and Anytime you you get the better of the boys, it was you had the bragging rights. Do you know what I mean? It, that wow. was the funny. A kid, it's like anything. You you always want to be the best. You always want to you know get one over in your mates and stuff. And that was kind of my entire childhood was was those memories.
0: At what point did you sort of realise I'm I'm actually pretty good here, and you know begin to consider football as maybe a a career option?
1: You know what I, I never. Um, even until I was into my twenties, I, I never saw football as being a career. Like, I only ever played because I loved the game, which sounds mad, but like I, I, I've spent my entire life chasing football and accommodating football into my life. So wherever I've worked, I've always changed my shifts to be at football. Like I've never missed football. I've always trained what you would call full time you know whether that was with the team or away from the team depending on on what stage the women's game was at but I've I've always put in extra work I've always enjoyed being in the gym I've always tried to be the best that I could be but for the most part of that it was only ever a hobby but because I loved it so much I've always dedicated that time but it wasn't until I was at Glasgow City in, in my second spell that you know, I started to really get into the, the groove of playing and, and being an established player on a top side and then getting back into the national team. You know, I was always fairly fast-tracked as a youth player in the national team setup, where I went from pretty much not playing with a team and then being 15, joining my first girls team and then within a couple of years playing in the national team up to under-19s level. So that happened really, really quickly. And then there was a period of probably four or five years where it, it was just a hobby again. Um, and it was, I say, it wasn't until that second spell at Glasgow City that I, I realised probably my own potential. And there was opportunities then that were they're coming and going. And uh, eventually, you know, I went down to Knott's County, and really, that's the, the first time I was professional.
0: So, what's it like, obviously, balancing work and and football? And for you know, for those people that don't know what was that you that you do.
1: Well, it's difficult. I think the realisation it probably took a long time for me to get my head around is that you would always have looked at things before as a sacrifice, and it was it hit home with me a conversation that I had with Anna Signale at one point, where she was speaking about you know the mindset of players, And it? It wasn't just me. I think that it was other players involved. But you know what she said is that you don't sacrifice anything this is this is you this is your opportunity if you want to play football and you want to be a footballer and you want to do the best possible job then you cannot see missing a family party as a sacrifice you cannot see not being at your friend's 21st as a sacrifice because all those other things you know they'll be there at some point in life whereas your football is your here and now and I think when she said that it really hit home with me that No, you're right, because for a long time you feel guilt because people for a long time didn't take the women's game seriously. So for me, it was, oh, Leanne plays football. Oh, she likes the football. You know, it would be like flippant remarks where, you know, if you were a a guy or a boy, it would be, you know, oh, Callum wants to be a footballer or loves the football. You know, it was two totally different spins on it. Um, And I believed that for a long time, that I was just playing football because I liked it you know so if you were invited to something or you were missing something you would actually feel bad saying you know I can't uh, listen I can't come to your wedding I've got a game on Sunday but I mean, it's just a game who are you playing we'll, we'll playing hips I know but it's my wedding you know and you're going I know but th- this is my life <laughs> so um so you felt for a, a long time that you, you had to explain that to people um and it wasn't until Anna actually said that that I, I thought you know what you're right um This is the here and now, you know, and you you have to give it 100%. So if you work a full-time job, if you work part-time, if you study, uh, it can be done. You know, it's not always easy. It's not always the most enjoyable. It certainly is a lot easier if you're only a full-time footballer. Um, But along with that, I I do still think that you you can balance education, which is really important. And I've figured that out a bit later in life. But Listen, if people need to work and they can still play, then find a way. You know, if you've got a talent that our football's your love and, and your passion, then you know you need to make it work.
0: So, you started out at Spartans, I believe, um, or, or Edinburgh, it, Edinburgh Ladies. Are...
1: Yeah, so it was Whitehill Welfare who then transferred over to Edinburgh Ladies, who then effectively became Spartans now. Um, but Whitehill Welfare at the time was, was not even as glamorous as what Spartans are now. It was old school, um, I think, Trenent, as it were. Whitehill Welfare, the guys junior team is, is based out that way. Meadow Mill rings the bell, uh, miles away from Glasgow anyway. But it was probably a crazy decision to go there. But again, I had come through the youth setup. There was loads of the girls from Edinburgh that I had played in the national team set-up that were, were going to Whitehill as well. Um, some of the girls were, were going to Glasgow City, but at that time they had a really strong team. And for me, I just loved loved playing. And, you know, I, I thought Whitehill was nice. You know, I had passed my driving test, I think, just a while before, and I thought, you know, it would be fun travelling through. It was only a couple of times a week training. was was nothing crazy. So you were pretty much training once a week with the team and then playing on a Sunday. Um, brilliant memories and and from there we went on from Whitehill Welfare, they changed to Edinburgh Ladies and that was my first silverware and the women's game was at Edinburgh Ladies and we beat Hibs 4-1 in the League Cup Um, which that was incredible that was one of the best victories I think we've ever had because we were the total underdogs uh, playing against a a team full of established internationalists Uh, and we went out and I ran riot, it was, it was a good
0: feeling that one. So as well as doing well at club football, you were obviously very successful internationally um, as a young footballer, called up to the, the under-19, I think it was in Hungary in 2005, the Euros.
1: Yeah, so I was one of the younger ones in that age group. I had come through the you know the programme at 17s level. There was a couple of us that, that made the kind of step up to the 19s a, a bit sooner than you would have naturally and I made that yeah the team that went to Hungary and you know I was never totally established in that squad I had moments and opportunities probably a lot it came off the bench and but it was a brilliant experience and to think back even now when you look at the achievements that the national team have made you know the first youth team to qualify for a European championship I was part of that side the first senior team to qualify for a major tournament in the Euros in, in 2017. Again, part of that side and in the World Cup in, in 2019. So the journey's actually been quite phenomenal and, and uh, you know, a lot of bumps along the way. But nice to, to look back as, as far as that. And some of the players that I played alongside, like Joelle Murray, you know, she was an established player. And I mean, staying that side, she was, was part of that team as well. And it's nice that our careers have kind of, Kept going side by side and we've been rivals for that length of time as well.
0: So sort of off the back of that, you then obviously got your call up to to the national team. and Obviously at senior level, do you remember your debut? I think it was against Belgium,
1: is that right? Uh, Do you know what, I don't have the best memories of it. I spoke about this last week as well and it was one of those ones, literally for like a two and a half year period, everything just was in fast forward mode. So by the time I had come in at like under 17s and in 19s, going to double training camps every week, qualifying campaign, getting to that major tournament, then going on for another year, being an established player, it it almost just snowballed into one uh, and it felt like it all maybe came too quickly. I had never really processed what the journey would look like. Right. So by the time I was in it, it, it was all happening. It was it was all happening really quickly. Then you had the expectations because people were identifying you as, you know, possibly like a, a player of, of the future and it that happened. But the national team at that time was full of really experienced, a real core of players, you know. Uh, Julie Fleeton would have would have been in it, you know, Suzanne Grant, uh you would have had Shirley Cares, you know, Michelle Barr. Mandy Burns, Stacey Cook, players that were really at the top end of the women's game at that time. And and for me, I've never seen it as a vision to be in that team. So when my debut came round, it was it was all a bit quick and it, it kind of felt, you know, as much as you were there, it was going to be really, really difficult to get into the side. And work-wise at that time, it was difficult. And, and financially, you know, I was a young adult, I had moved out of my parents house trying to pay bills and and stuff like that it was hard to strike a balance internationally you would go away for you know 14 days and you would have to take unpaid leave from work it just wasn't possible to to really balance it then Mm -hmm. the nest excited you know I always focused on that and if I could always beat training I could always beat games at the weekend then you know that was almost enough but the debut as early on as that came and went and you know A shame, really, that I I never really hung on to the memories as as well as I should have.
0: We'll we'll come on to Glasgow City a wee bit more. I think you had a a brief spell there before, obviously moving on to Celtic for four years. How how did that move come about?
1: I had been at Whitehill, then Edinburgh, obviously, and then I was coming. I wanted to come back to Glasgow. Celtic had just like they were kind of newly formed team. I had went to Glasgow City literally for a couple of weeks. Their training schedule was changing where they were trying to get players in like seven in the morning to do like a fitness session. And then you would go to work and then you would be back at training. Similar to the way things are now. But that jump back then and and the way things were ran, it wasn't, there was nothing streamlined about it you know some sessions you would go and there would maybe be two or three people then you were doing a full nine hour day then you were going to training at night and it just for me again it wasn't it wasn't practical where we were training and I thought I'm not going to be able to commit to what they're asking Uh, so I was just honest with them and, and just said look this isn't going to work you know, what you are asking and, and and from me, you know, I'm still trying to find this balance and it's not that easy. And then that's when the Celtic opportunity came about. Um, Brian Delaney was the manager back then with Robert Doherty and he had phoned me. I think somebody probably, let, you know, made them aware that I was kind of, you know, free. Uh, and that was it. You know, joined and took a lot to get my head around. I grew up a Rangers fan and, you know, people were going how could you How could you sign for Celtic if you're a Rangers fan you know and I was like I honestly don't care um, but I want to play football and I want to play in an environment that I'm going to be better and, and some of the players that they, they had there at that time and players maybe that I never even knew who they were you know I was blown away with the, the side that we had and the talent uh, the dressing room like back then just a really good bunch of people and, and Brian Delaney and Robert Docker they were uh, chalk and cheese, so it made for an interesting partnership working with them. But it was the first time that I really felt like a footballer that you had, you know, proper coaches. And that's no disrespect to, you know, coaches that I'd had previously. It was, it was more just that they weren't parents, they weren't volunteers. They, you know, they knew their stuff, and and they had applied their, their trade to football. And it was good, you know, down at Barryfield training games were up at Lennox Town. Um, it was the first time, yet. Yeah, really. It was a good place to be.
0: You're obviously there for four years. Um, how, how would you sort of sum up that whole thing? Seem seemed to really enjoy it.
1: You know what? The hardest thing was that we never had more success. And I, and I do believe that we, we probably should have. Because I, I think one of the last Celtic team. Would have reflected almost like a Glasgow City side two seasons later, where you pretty much had 70% of those players were in that Glasgow City side. The amount of players that moved and Joe Love, Christy Murrays, um, you know, there was myself, you had players like Rusia Littlejohn that had been back and forward, the other players that, that moved about within Glasgow. Um, and I just think with the with the balance that we had, we we we'd such a good team. Mm. And it was we were probably just too young and too eager, I think, to win in Glasgow City at that time, just to that bit more experience because they had won the league for a couple of years previously. They were, they were new, you know, if you think about that length of time, if we were at 13 in a row just now, they were, they were early days of being the Glasgow City side that they were. And... I do think that we should have pushed them and, and probably um, achieved more. But the, the big games, when it, it boiled down, it like you see in any derby or, or any um, you know title race, the teams with the not necessarily the best players, are, it's about mentality and it's about able to get yourself over the line, whether you've a good day or a bad day. <clears throat> you know we're like that now at City. Some games that we just do not have a God-given right to win, you know, and it's it's no performance that gets you over the line on that day. It's the fact that you've got experience or you've got a moment of brilliance for a player that makes a difference. And that was the same back then. I, I just think at Celtic, we missed missed an opportunity to, to really define, you know, what Scottish football could have been um, back then. You know, but credit to, to Glasgow City for all that they've achieved since then as well.
0: So you, you obviously went on to Glasgow City after that, but you had a, a brief spell of Hibs, I think, for a year. How did that come about, moving to Hibs?
1: Yeah, I went through to Edinburgh work-wise, uh, and that was why, again, it was about the travel. The Celtic side at that time had a couple of players started being cherry-picked, you know, from the team. I think a lot of players were desperate for success and had, you know, maybe felt that we had given her all over that kind of, two or three seasons with Celtic and still fell short. So a lot of players were, were swayed to go on and move. Then I moved through to, to Edinburgh, as I say, in, in work-wise and work-wise and stuff like that. And I just thought, you know, it's going to be too much for me again to, to travel and work and balance that if there was a I'm at a team, I would rather be there and, and be able to train and, and be about, which even at Hibs that year, it, it never really materialised like that. It was... That ended up a difficult year. My grand passed away towards the end of 2011 and, and she was in Glasgow. So I actually spent a lot of my time going back and forward. Um, and she actually passed away on the, the day of the Scottish Cup final that we had played against Glasgow City. And she, had, she passed away that night. And, and again, it was almost like a, a moment for me that I just... The call for, for Glasgow City then came a couple of weeks later for me to go back to Glasgow and, and after the kind of turbulent year and a bit like that that had been I uh, left Hibs and, and come back to Glasgow so it was a shame know that I would say I have regrets about Hibs but I, I wasn't ever able to uh, kind of impact in, in the team the way I would have, have wanted although well, somebody did tell me stats the other day that I had a pretty decent goal scoring record when I was there which I don't remember <laughs> uh, but it, uh, that was just a shame it was just a year it was almost Just you know, a gamble that that never really paid off. So
0: you obviously then you then moved on to Glasgow City. Fair to say you've you've done very well for yourself. Um, How how did that move sort of materialise? You mentioned people getting cherry picked and things. Was
1: that you know sort of yeah? As I say, I had played that year at Hibs and never really hit the heights that I would have wanted to. Um, And then Eddie I remember being at work one night and. I was on a break I think and my phone went uh, and it was him and he was just like you know what's your thoughts and coming to City and it was just a call that I never ever expected you know because I I set my own standards as a player and I always try and and be the best that I can be I'm always my own worst critic I I don't really need anybody ever to tell me that I've I've not played that well or um, I define success by by trophies and, and silverware and in moments and points and games in that season at Hibs I never really felt that I had achieved that I was on the bench in, in the Scottish Cup final and, and I don't know if that was maybe a trigger for Eddie I a feeling like they might have been Claire Gemmell was at City then and I think she had joined the, the police force so she was moving on again it was like the same with me were, you know, she couldn't dedicate as much as she wanted to City so they were looking for a natural replacement in that holding central midfield role I think Eddie had identified that I, I wasn't playing all the time at Hibs and uh, maybe wasn't having the best time and he had just phoned to say look do you fancy coming to City and I, I thought yeah, you know absolutely 100% you don't let an opportunity you know, like that pass you up and it was probably, you know, it was the best decision that I made, I, I think, at that time to get myself back. Not that I was ever off track with football, but it was, as I say, it was a bit more a hobby and participation. I went to Glasgow City and within, you know, two years, I think, I had six trophies, had played in the Champions League. Uh, and there was chat about me being back in in the national team. So it was an absolute no-brainer.
0: Yeah, so, so what was that like? Obviously, you come on to the, the massive success. I think it was back-to-back trebles. And I think you, mm-hmm. you won one of the leagues, you know, Invincible as well. What was that like? Uh,
1: unbelievable. And again, it's, it's one of those moments now where you realise how difficult that actually is to achieve. And, and for us, the, the talent in the team that we had, like over those couple of years was incredible. Like You know, it was endless talent. The majority of players were national team players. You know, you would go to a Scotland training camp and there was – Eight, ten players from Glasgow City, there it was almost like a club session. Um, and with that, even players that were at Hibbs at that time, it was players that you had crossed paths with, so everybody knew everyone really, really well. Yeah. And again, a lot of the players, even like you know, Sue Lappin, uh, I had come through youth level and, and played with Sue at Girls Football, and then we had all kind of went our separate ways and then it was brilliant to bring those players back together again in that Glasgow City side. There was just so many good players and I don't even think we realised like the run that we were on and, and what we were achieving at that time. You know, people can debate how competitive it was and you know, but we had you don't just put a side together and they all of a sudden become a great side. You mm-hmm. know, we worked the hardest in that league at that time, you know, we trained the hardest, we dedicated the most, and we absolutely deserved to be the champions that we were and to do it, you know, an invincible season and back to back trebles was uh, something special.
0: So you obviously played Champions League football as well when you were at Glasgow City. Um yep. what's that like for you? Obviously is it is it a big big jump in standard to, to domestic football?
1: Yeah. A massive, a massive difference. Just the physicality of the games. I mean, some of the games, if you if you go through the qualifying round, are probably fairly evenly matched. You know, we are better just because of the way the the group stage goes, where you've always got that pot of, pot of teams. But the top sides, you know, the top one and two in the qualifying group were always tough games. Uh, I remember one game, the FC Twenty game, stands out for me. Just when we. I think that was the first time maybe we had got through to the last 16. Could be wrong, but it was over in in 20 and uh, over in the Netherlands and it was just one of the toughest games that we we had ever faced. It was one of the first games I think that we ever recognised as not playing with the ball. We always dominated possession at, at City and I just remember that game being like backs to the wall, you know, just... Every tackle, every pass mattered, uh, and we managed to win the game. I've no idea how we, we managed to win it, and that was, you know, one of the sweetest memories uh, in the Champions League. And a couple of great runs that we went on. Just, I, you know, you speak about the standard. That at times we just never even, you know, we don't have the right to compete at that level. When you look at the finances and, and you look at the level of player that is out there across Europe, but for whatever maybe Glasgow City lack and, and other departments, we certainly make up for it in experience and heart and drive and determination.
0: So was it was it then difficult to leave, obviously, Notts County come in? Um, I think it's the January 2015. Is, is it difficult to leave? And you obviously go full time there as well.
1: Yeah, well, I had spoke... Rick, who was the manager at Notts County, had, had asked me a couple of times over the last seven, eight years. I think the first time he ever seen me play was as early on, like I was 19, 20 year old and it, they were, he was a manager at Lincoln Ladies. So he had tried to get me to go to Lincoln and then he ended up at Notts County. And then my time at Glasgow City was, became a bit of a rough patch towards the end where I was in and out of the team. It was, you know, we had brought in players, Jess Fishlock had come over. It is like a short term, signing you know because you could sign players in in that kind of three-month window where they were in between seasons Uh, you know I wasn't always playing I I, I think for me and Eddie we we weren't getting on that brilliant and we were probably clashing because of that you know I was at an age where I I, you know I felt I, I deserved a wee bit more in terms of not even respect maybe just a bit more of an explanation and a bit more recognition for what I had given the club for those couple of years before but anyway that that's water under the bridge now and the Knott's County thing you know came about Um, which was a hard time to leave because it was just before the last 16 of the, the Champions League and that was the year that the girls went on and, and got to the quarters mm-hmm. but the opportunity was there and I just felt For me, I had kind of been in a bit of limbo and I really knew where I stood. I never felt that valued playing under Eddie at that time. I couldn't really see the season panning out that well and I thought I've passed this opportunity up a couple of times now and, you know, will it ever really come round again? WSL at that time had really kind of started to take off and, you know, there was top sides and top players in, in that division and I just thought, you know, I need to go and I need to try it. And personally, in terms of work and everything else, that it, it was going to work out, it was going to be possible. Whether there was other opportunities over the the previous years that it would never have been a possibility, um, and it was great. It was honestly, it was one of the best experiences. I do think people with England there's a bit of a smoke screen, or there certainly was then, that people perceived it to be this, you know, big, massive, incredible experience where. You know, there was these brilliant professional sides that, you know, the girls were in this incredible environment where everything was just, you know, full of roses. And it's not like that. It was not like that. There was rarely any teams that you went to, bar maybe one or two, that, that were playing and, and exposed to those elements. Everybody else was just slogging it out, week in, week out, at average training facilities. And... um You know, it wasn't the glitz and glamour of the Premier League, that's for sure. But I learned so much about myself during that time. Met some incredible people. Went on brilliant cup runs to the FA Cup final, the Continental Cup final, you know, and narrowly missed out. And again, with that, maybe if that hadn't came during the first season there, you would have been a bit braver in even those games. And you would have learned a bit from it, you know, that those opportunities very rarely come round again.
0: What was it like, sort of moving down there? You mentioned, you know, the things with your job. What, what was it like leaving? I assume, I assume you moved down there. What yeah. what, what was it like, obviously leaving Glasgow and then, what, what was Notts County like in terms of? It was it was the standard different? Was it was it a lot better to, to domestic football in Scotland?
1: Across the board, to answer the the last part of that, domestically. The league was stronger, but as a team, I would have bet Glasgow City to, to go into the WSL at that time and have been at least a top three side. And that's that's genuinely not been biased. I, I, I think people totally underestimated how good that Glasgow City side were out with Scotland. So compare that, and, and for me, even the, the training standards and stuff, there would have been some players that demanded... The best and you know I played with some top England internationalists as well, but not everybody because I had came from an environment at Glasgow City where you were expected to win you weren't just expected to compete, and there's a difference so I found that challenging that people were happy to take you no accept less you know but just to be comfortable
0: yeah
1: just competing or just pushing a team close um. So the standard at Glasgow City, I would say, was, was probably as good, if not better, in, in certain aspects, if you were to compare the two teams. The experience in leaving home was, was challenging. It was difficult because, I, you know, I love being at home. I spend a lot of time with my family. I know everybody can probably say that, but genuinely, like, week on week, I, I have a lot of time where I spend with my nana, who's now, you know, going to be 89, and... Uh, I spend a lot of time, my nieces, my nephews, you know, I was my mum, I love being close enough to just pop in, so to be that far away and to be a five and a half hour drive from home was just totally alien. Um, but I was lucky, the house that I moved in, it was a clubhouse, had three uh, other players that stayed in the house and one was uh, a scouser, Fern wheeling. Dan Buett, who was from London, who was a southerner, and Carly Telford, who was a Geordie. So you pretty much had a Glaswegian, a Geordie, a Scouser, and a Londoner, all in the one house, uh, which made for an interesting dynamic. But they literally became family. Like we we done everything together. Uh, travel to training, you know, always in a pool car, back and forward. We'd always, you know, go for coffee, and that really helped. In the weekend, you know, we'd go for dinner. We would get foot. It was like a fam, you know, a family away, family, and I think without that, I would have really struggled to, to find my feet. Even although I was, you know, twenty six, twenty seven, it was wasn't it like I was a young kid. But for me, it was just something totally different. Um, and the club was just a working club. Everything about it was was brilliant especially away for the football, like the stuff that went on behind the scenes at Notts County really hit home with me and I had loads of opportunities there where I, I took up a coaching job with the uh, University of Nottingham. Uh, I volunteered as, as part of my degree. I, I had to do almost like placement work and, and they had given me loads of opportunities within the Notts County, the football and the community programme, worked in various different projects with that. So I got to know the city really well you know I struck up brilliant relationships with people at the university and then I had the, the, the football community in terms of the team and my teammates and, and stuff like that so overall as a package I experienced loads you know it's just a shame that we couldn't Chelsea that day at Wembley and get an FA Cup winners medal and it was just a shame that in the Continental Cup final it unfolded the, the way it did and we regret about that, but when I look back on it, I just think I'm really lucky and I, I do think I managed to take as much from the experience as I, I possibly could.
0: So you've obviously moved back up to Scotland um, with Glasgow City now. Um, just coming on to the international scene, you, you found yourself back in Scotland. It's been a, it's been a tremendous few years for the national. First of all, with the, the, the Euros in 2017,
1: I, it's been unbelievable. Like when Notts County was liquidated that that day, <laughs> and then, you know, Glasgow City phoned and, and were like, "Listen, would you be interested in, in coming back?" And that was the year of the Euros. So, you know, we were liquidated, and in, in Euro's was was going to be like twelve weeks later, and the players were left with no club. So I jumped at the opportunity to get back home, get back training. You know, it was. It was an easy transition you know I wasn't it? I was upset about leaving Nottingham but at the same time I was back home I had my family we were building up to the biggest occasion and you know what had been for the national team ever in my career and it was special you know it was it was coming to the end of an era with Anna and, uh, and Helen moving on we knew that was coming but to make the team and to be selected but then to lose the players that we lost along the way probably took the shine off it a wee bit because you had you'd given so much with that group of players to get over there and you know everybody's families were booked up and you're organising tickets and where people are staying, you know, you're trying to plot it all. It was it was brilliant, but at the same time it's that same feeling when you're a footballer, you, you kind of set the bar and you base success on winning games and performing. Certainly in that first game you know, against England, we never done that. So it was a crash landing at a, a major tournament, one that we had to learn from very quickly. But it was, at the same time, it was exciting. It was just so new and everything about the experience, you know, the hype around the media, the hotels that you were staying in, the way training was set up, you know, the hype around the games, the team buses, there was just stuff that we had never seen before. You know, we'd only seen it on TV so actually be part of that and be part of that with your friends and your teammates um, meant a huge huge amount so,
0: as you mentioned another qualifying game obviously for the World Cup um, how did you find obviously care Kerr um, her, her side you know they've basically sort of inspired the nation in a way I think obviously women's football has, has risen a lot over the the last few years because of, you know, yourself, Shelley, Kerr, and the team.
1: Yeah, and I think like the the Euros was a huge turning point, I think, for everyone. And we had been close a, a couple of times before that. And I always say like when, when Anna and Anne Halen came in, they never they were their remit wasn't just to to build a team and make a team better. They literally had to change the mindset of a nation. And that took over a decade to change. It took a long time to change the mindset of the players. It took a long time to change the mindset of the clubs and the infrastructure that was supporting that. Um, You know, to have better coaches, better resources, better facilities, and all of that had changed dramatically over that 10 and 12 year period. So after the Euros, we had, like, you know, you talk about having the right balance and a side between youth and experience and you know anytime you see it when England go to you know in the men's game when they go to world cups and major tournaments it's always you know they want kids thrown in you know 16 year old uh Theo Walcott of course they should be going to the you know in There's players that are always should be going so they actually get the balance between you know a good team brilliant players in a tournament team is really difficult. So I I think the experience from 2017 definitely put everybody in a better place going into the next camp where it almost get you off the back where you had qualified for a tournament. But at the same time, we were in a a decent group as well. A couple of years before, we had been in a group of death where, you know, you would have had Holland in there, you would have had Germany in there, you know, you had Spain. So there was teams that you just were like... What is it going to take to actually get a result? What are the chances? Whereas Switzerland were a top side, but we knew we we were as good as Switzerland. So there was no fear factor, there was no, as soon as the group came out, there was no automatic deflation of this is going to be impossible. Do you know what I mean? Um, And you had players that had been at the Euros that were hungry, that wanted to do better. You had players that had missed out in the Euros through injury, that were desperate to get back, that were desperate to get to a major tournament. You had players that never made the Euro side, you know, fringe players that maybe should have been there that that never quite got there. So I think by the time the World Cup campaign came round, you had a real fine balance of the right assets that you you needed to do well. And and I think the change then came with the manager and, you know, that's always refreshing in, in any team sport especially in the beginning where everybody has to prove themselves all over again you know training intensity I remember those first couple of training camps under Shelly and Andy just being through the roof because people were all of a sudden running about mad to prove you know (laughs) and not that you were turning up before that not having to prove yourself but you kind of things were comfortable do you know what I mean so it was like everything was turned upside down everybody had Everything to prove and everything to show, and I think you seen that in the, the campaign. It was always a, a tight team to select. You you know you could never re- there was always two or three changes from any starting eleven. You know there was only so many players that you could really say were I mean staying the side. So there was loads of competition. There was loads of squad rotation. Everybody was was on their toes. The girls always had a level of respect for each other. Where we had all worked so hard to to get to where we were, and luckily for us, the the campaign you know was a success, and and we got to that World Cup finally.
0: So the the team obviously made made a lot of people you know stand up and obviously look at the team, look look at how well they were doing, showed showed the mm-hmm. men up as well. Um, but you know that 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 game at um, Hamden, before you mm-hmm. went off, before you set off to France, obviously the record breaking 18,000 fans were there. Yeah. Uh, what what was I like to play play in front of, obviously, before he's he's went to the World Cup?
1: I think just the experience and everything about that day, I think it was special for everyone. Um I never played like I, I wasn't on the pitch that day. I was on the bench and like that for me, you know, that's a shame. You know, will I ever play at Hamden again? I don't know. But even with that like personal disappointment, it 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 wasn't about that. Like the picture is so much greater that yeah, we you know there had been the hand in game before and the Spain fire for people. Some of the girls had played in that again. I wasn't I wasn't in the squad during that game, but I know and I remember listening to that game on, on the radio, <laughs> being at work and it just being like so near but yet so far. And I think there was maybe a crowd about four and a half five thousand that night. And to think, you know, we've then jumped forward to this experience and we had all worked so, so hard. And it was the first time, I think, that we really believed that the nation were behind us. Uh, We had worked tirelessly just even to get people to to come to games and people don't see that outside the game. I, I don't, I would love to be in a position where, you know, in the men's game, that you just turn up and people are there. That you'd, You've never had to, to try and sell tickets. You know, mm. you've never had to try and encourage people. You've, you've never had to, for us, like, take lists of schools that we had previously attended, groups in the community that we were part of that met. you know, to try and reach out to people to say, Look, please come and watch us you might actually enjoy it, do you know what I mean? So we, we put so much in not just the football, we dedicate so much to, to trying to make it inclusive for all. And that was almost our payback that that night and it, it, an opportunity for us just to, to play and express ourselves. The crowd that night was so young and so youthful and so energetic, you know, that the amount of kids that were there and families you know, it was just a perfect night. You know, unlike the weather in uh, Scotland as well, it was dry, it was sunny, it was kind of just everything that it should have been. And I know the girls that played, uh, were on the pitch that night, and you know, even us doing the warm up. Then I mean, the girls that scored, you know, I spoke to Erin you know, last week about uh, on the podcast about her, you know, favorite goal, and hers is you know the Hamden goal, Caroline here mentioned like her goal as well and the knee slide celebration like that's memories that we've dreamed of that's been something that we've never really been able to see that you can touch to actually have been there and be part of that was was really special and and I think you've seen that then followed on to the way the team was supported when when we got to France and and how well everybody backed us and, and how ultimately everybody was as disappointed as us by then. <laughs>
0: Just, just touching on the World Cup and I know you're pushed for time but um, Shelley Kerr obviously gave you the phone call um, I, I think I, I read some sort, sort of a, uh, when you go also just touching on the World Cup as well what was it like obviously the, the whole sort of and, and and typical obviously it was a great achievement but you know in typical Scottish fashion yeah. we sort of we, we came so far and then kind of you know it, it fell away
1: uh, the phone call was funny because nobody knew Like, you never knew that you were in the squad so it was almost like, like the, there was no insight almost um, you were just sitting waiting we knew the phone calls were due to come out that day and it was like a process of elimination with you know, some of the players that <laughs> would be messaging each other and I've just been phoned you know so and so is in, so and so is not or whatever and you're sitting waiting. I was over at my brother's and like my niece and my nephew are running about mad and had to throw them into another room just to speak to Shelley and it was just relief more than anything, you know, you had worked so hard for me, the campaign had been up and down in the sense that I was in and out the side I was definitely a a more level-headed time in my career than I maybe would have been you know, City, for example, in, in 2015, when you know I, I wasn't playing and I asked questions, and I probably looked at other people before I looked at myself. Whereas I think for a lot of that campaign, you know, I sat out, I wasn't involved, and I always just looked at myself and how I could be better. You know, and I, I made sure that I gave everything that I possibly could give personally to get to the, the World Cup, and I knew that if I wasn't going to make it, that it was, it was going to you know, be down to the fact the manager didn't see me in our plans as opposed to it being something that I hadn't done. So when the call came, it was just, it was genuinely just total relief. You know, I, I literally felt like I, the weight had just lifted off my shoulders and I went through and, you know, I telling my brother and the kids and they were just like, I was like, oh, Anto going to the World Cup and they were just like, is that good? <laughs> So you brought back down here for a bang, do you know what I mean? They're not interested, um, but that was also nice as well, and nice to share that moment with them as well. Because you just hope that whatever you do in your career, you you know you inspire, you know some people. But inspiring the ones closest to you is, is always what matters the most. And the experience itself, the World Cup was brilliant in the sense that I get a lot of new experiences being there with the team, you know, preparing for those games seeing the hype back home, you know, having your family over there, being part of things, was great, but ultimately the games we just never, never really lived up to. You know, what we thought, what we set as our expectations of us, and that was most disappointing. Uh, some challenges, I, I think that if we were to do it all again, we would do it differently. You know, and you would you would cope better, but with anything in life, you, you can only you know, hindsight's a a brilliant thing. It's just really important that as as players that you reflect and and you look at those moments that you could improve and and what individually you could have done better and take that into the next tournament. And hopefully, you know, that will not be too far away. We know the Euros has been pegged back because, you know, the current times that we're in, you know, but the campaign will, will hopefully get back up and running before the end of this year and, and the team are certainly at a, an eager and determined stage now where we've now been to the Euros we've been to the World Cup that's brilliant it's good enough being there uh, now when we arrive at a tournament it's about actually ensuring that we perform you know there's no excuses for it being a first time there's no excuses for it being a new experience you need to get there and you need to perform and, and you ultimately need to do your best so that I think is, is a really exciting time for the group of players that we've got just now because it, it's super super talented
0: So obviously um, Scotland won the Pinatar Cup in March which probably seems like a lifetime ago now with everything going on That's
1: um, oh, mad yeah it's mad that that was even this year
0: uh-huh.
1: but I just wish we had enjoyed it a bit more I mean we're we're always a bit funny like that I think as Scottish people we're not that good at celebrating ourselves Um were a bit bashful and a bit sheepish and like you know it's just the pinotar cup almost and it was it should have just been the start of the season for for most of us but it was brilliant great couple of weeks over there training uh weather was great because as you know the weather here had literally been non-stop raining for the entire december january february so to go over and play and train in the sun was great really competitive games and a wee bit of silver wearing the national team jersey is always nice
0: so uh, now, just obviously your your role with the BBC, um, yourself and Stephen Thompson sort of took up punditry slash presenting roles with the BBC for the for the Friday night championship games. What, what what's that been like for you, and sort of how how did it all come about?
1: Do you know what it's been? It's it's been one of the best experiences that I've I've ever had. It was totally um, not out the blue because I was doing a bit of media work with with Peter Martin over at at PLZ. That came about just when I had come back from Nottingham. I had met him at one of the Scottish Cup draws. He had mentioned that he was looking to get a female reporter kind of thing on on board with that. And it was at the time that the Peter and Ruffy show was on, like, STV2 and stuff. Mm -hmm. So I used to go out and do live games for him, a bit of match reporting. I'd be on the show, like, as, as a pundit every other week and i had never done anything like that before so it was i was in at the deep end i was sent out to games with a camera a microphone an ipad like just go just go and figure it out basically <laughs> um so i had to just learn i had to just learn on the spot i had to work out you know how to pre- present almost peter helped me loads in in terms of you know the way to deliver information and and the things that you should be saying, you know, and the things you want to hear in a, a 30 second half time update, all that sort of stuff. And then off the back of the, the Euros as well, the BBC then started to do more in in terms of their coverage of the, the women's game and, and having more female pundits on their panels of, you know, whether that be sports sound, sports scene, having people, uh, female reporters out at games and stuff. And, and a couple of the national team players were asked if they would want to be part of that. So there was a, a pool of us that then became, you know, sports scene pundits, that sort of thing, and that grew arms and legs. And And I really took to that. I, I loved uh, being on, struck up, but, you know, a, a decent um, kind of partnership, if you like, with Tomo. And And then we got the opportunity, which initially was a, a three-way thing, with me, Stephen Thompson, and Scott McDonald where you know we would just chop and change different games what two would, would present uh, and then Scott moved over to us so it just was left with the twos and we just kicked on for there really I mean neither of us would claim to be good at it neither of us would say that we're the finished article in terms of being a presenter and certainly presenting and being a pundit are two totally different things. Um, there's a difference between listening to somebody asking you a question and you being the person that's asking the question with someone in your ear screaming a countdown to you like that was totally alien to me Um, so you're hearing the entire show in your ear whilst trying to execute the show as well but it's been great It's, it's been just such a quick 18 months and we've learned week on week there's been times where we've, we've almost just got a run of games together and then you know I'll go in an international game where it, it kind of breaks it up or we get we were coming into like the business end of the season where off the back of the, the pinnature cup we, we should have had a run of like 10 games you know 10 weeks in a row where we were absolutely buzzing to have that consistency and and then obviously this coronavirus has hit. Um, but I just hope that we get the opportunity again because it, it's been brilliant coverage, I think, for the Scottish game, first and foremost.
0: Yeah.
1: I think the Scottish Championship and the division below that get a really rough deal in terms of the way people perceive the standard of the football. And, and unless you're out there watching it week in, week out, which it might not be as glamorous and it might not have all the advertising boards the way other divisions do and the glitz and glam and what you've got is is guys that apply their trade and, and give their all that they work hard week in, week out for that moment, uh, you know, and their moment to shine is, is on T V on a Friday night in, in the Scottish Championship. So for us to be part of that, I actually find it quite a humbling experience for me and I love being part of it for that reason, is that you're getting to showcase other parts of Scottish football and, and I, I've got a better understanding of that because I think how much a rough deal uh, the women's game gets.
0: So just on the present now, obviously, the, the season was ended with um, the, the coronavirus, obviously. Um, how, how sort of itching are you to get back? It was shaping up to be a brilliant season D- domestically, you know, Celtic and Rangers looked like, the, you know, the, the, they were going to challenge for probably one like seasons in a while.
1: Yeah, and I think for for us, it was a, just a crap start to the season and, and dropping the points to Celtic and the manner in which we did, um, we were ready to go. You know, it was one of these ones where it's happened in the past where you, you've dropped points and you just need to go and make sure you you win the next game and, and the next. You know, after that, and we know that for us, like winning a, a title is never won in one game you know it takes the whole season and for us we were up for the fight I love the investment that's been made in, in the women's game I, I love that there's teams that are providing opportunities for players that they're providing an income for players I love that Glasgow City are still striving to be the best that when other teams you know it's like a game of chess when one team makes a move you know we're waiting patiently and and looking and, and analyzing what we can do again to, to make sure we stay on top. And I think, you know, the women's game off the back of the World Cup and the hype and the exposure that it got, it had started to fizzle out a little bit. But that came, you know, just because of the way the season is and the break and the weather and Christmas and everything else. So we were raring to go and, and get things back up and running. And I hope that when we come out the other side of this, that those teams that have made those investments will continue to do so. I hope that the investment that was <clears throat> made yesterday and, that come from uh, Mr You know James Anderson the money that he's put into the women's game will mm-hmm. safeguard and, and help a lot of people during these difficult times the amount of kids at grassroots level that are heavily invested at all the clubs I mean we've got over 150 girls at, at Glasgow City and that's just one club that's been affected by this um, so I just hope that they're all as, as desperate and hungry to get back as what we are for me personally, it's probably felt like a bit of a sabbatical. <laughs> um, I think it's gave me a, a, an insight into what retirement could look like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Maybe I'm lucky in that sense that it's, it's given my body a, a break from it. It's given my mind a break from it. It's allowed me to probably build things back up again in, in a different way that I would never have got that opportunity um, You know, if we had the, the scheduling that we had this year. So it'll be nice. It'll be refreshing it has to be the right time for us to get back. It can't be too soon where, where things come crashing back down again. And I, I think the people in the game that are making those decisions will, will get it right and we'll be back sooner rather than later.
0: I always like to, to finish with, you know, obviously you're, you're still playing at the moment. Um, obviously, coronavirus is going on at the moment, but sort of, sort of when the full-time whistle, you know, goes on, the, on your career, how would you sort of like to be remembered and, you know, how
1: would you look back on everything? Um, I think just to be remembered as a player and as someone that, um, like, enough was, was never enough. You know, I I've all, that I always wanted more and I always gave everything that I possibly could. And, you know, I hope that along the way that I've, I've crossed paths with, with people and, and players that I've they've made a difference to, to my career, but I, I hope it, at some point there's you know a, a lasting memory or a legacy that that people have been able to learn and, and take something from me to go on and, and continue to make the game better, which I think my generation of players has always tried to do that, where we don't just get to play the game and enjoy the game. We're, we're always doing the other bits around it. And I, and I hope that women's football in particular never loses that because it's the only way that, that we'll actually continue to sh- to make strides and, and become better.
0: Well, Leanne, thank you very much for, for taking the time out. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks for, thanks for giving up your time and all the, all the best for the future.
1: No worries. Thanks so much.
0: Thank you very much for listening. A big thank you to Leanne for giving up her time to come on the podcast. A great insight into the women's game which has of course grown massively across Scotland the last few years which is obviously great to see. Make sure to check out Behind the Goals podcast for more interesting stories from Leanne and our co-host Rachel Corsey. They've had a lot of very good guests on and it's a great look into women's football. Anyway, if you enjoyed this week's episode please share it around, leave a review or simply tell friends and family to spread the word. Drop a tweet to us at the FT Whistle Pod to give any feedback and give us a follow there so you don't miss any updates. Also, subscribe on the platform you listened on so you don't miss an upload. And thanks very much again. Take care and all the best.